What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Make It Happen podcast with myself, Nolan Olm. I am so excited for you guys to hear this one today. We've got Coach Mike Nelson, Spokane legend, uh, head of strength and conditioning over here at Gonzaga, entrepreneur, former Zag. He was on those teams that really started to, you know, step Gonzaga into the limelight, completely put that program on the map. They didn't ever make March Madness runs, and then all of a sudden they started making them, and they made it a, a year-in, year-out thing, and Mike was a part of those first couple teams. He talks all about how they did it, and he's around it every single day. Greatness in terms of that program, Coach Few, and really all the athletes that he gets to work with and help develop. He's he's an incredible dad, family man. He's He's got so many different things going on. He's got his own podcast, his own uh, basketball company organization hoop commitment uh, that is really just dedicated to, to allowing you to bring your best to the court he's an absolute uh, just utility knife in life and so i really really am excited to present mike you guys are going to love this episode please rate review share this around i please ask if you could just leave a review it really helps grow the show and allow me to get more incredible guests on here like mike nelson and ultimately helps more people make it happen and, and and live a better quality of life so that's what we're all about so with that being said tune in take some notes coach mike nelson here he is let's just start it off like with your basketball career how do you end up going from seattle right you grew up on the west side um how do you end up from seattle over to gonzaga and just kind of finding your love for the game where did that come from well, my love for the game was kind of funny because of the earliest memory I have of really loving basketball was being over at my friend's house. We were playing Nintendo, and his dad screamed, the new Michael Jordan commercial's on. I'd never heard of Michael Jordan before, um, but Jamie ran out and, to watch the, the TV commercial, and I ran out with him, and I was like, this is amazing. There's this dude dunking and flying through the air, and then we immediately went out to his front yard, and he said, hey, do you want to be Larry Bird or Michael Jordan? And I didn't know who either was until I just saw that commercial. I'm like, Michael Jordan. And then that was my favorite player. Right. I don't know why that was my favorite player, but all of a sudden I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be Michael Jordan. And so just, you know, I think all those little things like collecting basketball cards and posters. I ate Wheaties every single day of my life growing up because <laughs> I wanted to get the Michael Jordan basketball and the Michael Jordan poster, you know. And I think a lot of that was it just kind of sparked my love. I was a pretty good high school basketball player. My senior year, I was MVP of the league, but I didn't have any Division One offers. Right. And I was pretty embarrassed about it, especially late, you know, after season ended. My teachers would always ask me, where are you going to school? And uh, I'll back up a little bit. Going into my senior year, I got injured. I tore my calf muscle right in the spring, and I didn't prepare as well as I wanted to for the summer travel season and so I played pretty timid I wasn't very aggressive I passed up a lot of shots and I had these dreams of having a shoebox with all my division one offers from Duke and North Carolina and Kentucky and I didn't get any offers (laughs) and I was so embarrassed and so I decided that from that point on I would never be ill prepared again and so I Got a basketball, and I said, I'm going to carry this thing with me every single place I go right. until I sign my scholarship. So I took it to school, drove with it, ate lunch with it, had a play, uh, pillow on my bed where I slept with my basketball. My girlfriend at the time thought I was crazy because I showed up to you know, prom and homecoming, everything with my basketball. Right. And 
And so that made it even more challenging when I didn't have a scholarship offer after my senior year because I told everyone, hey, I'm carrying this ball with me. And I keep carrying this ball every single day. And it got to a point where I was almost embarrassed to go to school because I was tired of people asking me, what are you going to do? And then I got a phone call from Fred Crow. He's the founder of NBC Camps. He lived here right here in Spokane. And he said, hey, I got you a walk-on tryout. So you got to find your way over to Spokane. I'll cook you a big steak dinner. You can stay at my place and uh, nice. you know, just provide an opportunity for you. Yeah. And he was just the best because I didn't have any options at that point. So flew over here. He did cook me a massive steak dinner. And then I remember that morning before I came to Gonzaga, he had a lucky pair of shorts. It was almost like Rocky, you know, like, hey, these are your shorts. You're going to do great today. Right. And so I wore my NBC shorts that day, and I just played out of my mind. Um, you know, it's just one of those days where every time someone misses a shot, it just bounced off the rim and came to me. You know, my shot was falling. If I did get beat on defense, I would just make a last-ditch swipe at it, and I'd touch the ball, <clears throat> knock it out. and I just played great, and I'll never forget. It was just right over here. It was raining that day, and Coach Munson walked me out to the rental car and said, hey, I don't walk out just anyone in the rain. We think if you come here, you could be a really good player walk on for one year, and he got a four-year scholarship waiting for you. And it was the best news I'd ever heard. I was so excited. And so, yeah, that's what led me to Gonzaga. And it didn't quite end up the way I thought it would. But as most things, um, you know, your dreams don't come true. Something better does. Mm. And so I really thought that I was going to get a four-year scholarship, and that didn't quite happen. You know, I remember my... Uh, college roommate and teammate Matt Santangelo we came in and redshirted together and we had these big dreams man and when we're seniors we're going to make it to the NCAA tournament and we're even going to win a game you know we thought we were dreaming really big and so it's funny I ended up uh, having to walk on for two years and it was the best thing that ever happened to me it just really toughened me up um, shook my confidence a lot but kind of what you find is the things that don't kill you if you can make it through do make you stronger and you know it's History shows we didn't just win a game. We won a lot of games in the NCAA tournament. So it was really fun to see the power of thinking that you're dreaming big and then to know there's even bigger plans ahead. And so it's really fun when I talk with you and you say, man, I want to have legendary ideas. I want to take legendary action. And whatever you think is legendary, it'll be interesting to see how much bigger it actually is. You know? Wow. Yeah, that's really, really cool. So talk a little bit about you know, your style of play, eventually you become the defensive player of the year, correct? Yeah. And so that that's a pretty uh, honorable award, right? Those are usually some pretty big dogs in the court, the defensive players of the year, defensive players on their team, right? Best ones on their team. So talk about, like, how, how did you come about finding that niche in your game and, and on the team? Well, yeah, when I was in high school, I was never like a scorer. I was a leading scorer on a team. I, I really liked having a well-rounded game. Um, and then when I came here, you realize that everyone's bigger, faster, stronger. And not only that, they know the system. They know the plays. They know right. the drills. And so I came on campus, and uh, what I didn't know was at the time, John Stockton was in the NBA and spent his preseason here. And so before he reported to training camp, he spent a month with us. And I remember showing up. Now I'm a walk-on redshirt freshman, lowest person on the totem pole, and I'm so nervous to play with the guys. I walk in the gym for my first day of hoops, and I look over, and not only is it the team that I'm in awe of, but it's John Stockton. 
And it's so surreal when you watch someone on TV your whole life to see them in person. Right. They look the same, but it's different. It's like 3D. Yeah. And I remember like, oh my gosh, you know, going to one of the guys, is that really John Stockton? He's <laughs> like, oh yeah, that's cool. He comes and plays every preseason with this. And I'm like, what's it like to play with John Stockton? He's like, oh, it's great, man. He'll pass you the ball. But if you miss your first shot, I'll never pass you again. And it just so happens that I got picked up on John's team that day. And I was so nervous. Like the whole time in my game, I was always like, I've always just loved hustling. You know, I've always a guy that, you know, crashed the boards, dive on the floor. Um, I don't know, that style of play just always rang true to me. The things that you can control. And so I was doing all those things, diving on the floor, going for every rebound. But on offense, I was always trying to find myself in a position where I couldn't quite shoot it because I was so nervous to miss that first shot. And I remember like as yesterday, he drove to the hole and I was on the baseline and my guy sucked in to help. And as my guy came in, he just kicked it off and I'm on this left baseline and there's no depth perception, you know, it's like uh, the straight on shot so nice because you have that backboard there. And I'm like, I didn't even care to make it. I just didn't want to airball it, you know, and my arms were tight and I switched it and it felt so good. And then from then on, you really do feel like you're Carl Malone if you're on John's team, because if you can make an open layup and a jump shot, you're just going to score all day long. And so we just ran the tables that day. I don't think we lost all day long because I was hitting 10, 15 footers and I was making layups and I was going to dive on the floor and foul if my guy was, you know, had an opportunity to score. And, uh, and it was just well, one of the best experiences of my life. And then from that day on, John always picked me first. He didn't know any better, didn't know who I was. He just, hey, this guy can hit a jump shot and it's going to try hard. And so that whole preseason, we just ran the tables and I thought, I really thought that the coaches were going to ask me not to redshirt because I, I was so good. You know, it was one of those things where I was like, my confidence was so high. And uh, I remember coach found me at the cafeteria one day and said, hey, I want to, let, want to let you know you're even better than we thought you are. Like, keep this up, you know. And I, at the time, I didn't have my scholarship, so I still had my basketball with me. So in between classes, if I had a, a 9 o'clock class and 11 o'clock class, I would just come in to do ball handling and shoot, you know. I would in the gym three or four times a day just because nothing else to do and I was just equating basketball with success you know it was just so much fun and uh he calls my parents Mike's even better than we thought you know my parents are calling me I'm seeing how all the other players are looking at me I'm like Sean might be the best player on the team <laughs> and then it was this stark reality when John left for the uh for the NBA and I played with average players that were good players, but not John Stockton. And of course, we go into practice, and now we have to do the drills. We run flex. I've never run flex a day in my life, so I'm really rigid. And I go from really thinking I'm the best player on the, on the court to literally being the worst player in the history of Gonzaga basketball. Oh, my confidence was so... It, by the time it was winter break, I couldn't even make a layup. I was just so inside my head, you know. It was... Man, it was hard. Wow. And... uh so that was a huge challenge, and but the whole time I'm thinking, but I'm gonna get my, I'm gonna sign my scholarship papers, you know, like man, I've, I've put the work in, I've done a good job, and I remember um, asking coach about it a lot. He kept putting it off. Oh yeah, you just you just keep doing your work, you know, you just keep keep playing hard. You're doing just fine. And so finally, I asked him, hey, when am I gonna sign the scholarship paper? And he said, well, let's talk about it when we play UW when we're in Seattle. 
I said, perfect. So we go over there over winter break, and I'm staying with my folks back in Seattle, and my dad drops me off at the hotel to meet with the coach. And my dad's so excited. Hey, congratulations, son. You know, what a big day for you. And I remember just really feeling proud as I walked through the lobby, went up to his hotel room, and, and I thought I was going to sign my scholarship papers. And he was really kind. He just said, hey, you know, you put the work in. You've done a good job, but we're not basically not ready to be on scholarship yet, you know. And I don't remember what he said after that because I was just trying not to cry. I was so embarrassed. And I was kind of thinking, like, the joke was on me a little bit, you know. Like, I was like, does does everyone think I suck, you know? Does everyone know I'm not good enough to be on a scholarship? And I had walked down through the lobby, and all my teammates were there getting ready for practice. And I didn't even want to look anyone in the eye. I was just so embarrassed. I'm like, do they, are they on in this joke, too? Do they, do they think I suck? And I get in the car, my dad's there, and he's like, how'd it go? And I just start crying. I'm like, let's go. And I wanted to quit. I wanted to go home. And my dad was just kind of laid it out for me. Hey, this is who you are. This is what you're going to do. You know, you're going to show up to practice. You're going to walk in, you know, chin high. You're going to play so hard. You're going to let them know what kind of person you are, what kind of play you are, and why you deserve to have that scholarship. And if it wasn't for him, I probably would have quit. And it was just so nice to have that kind of support and that kind of guidance. And so I remember walking into the gym. We were practicing in high school and for a little shoot around. And all my teammates must have kind of known what was going on because without saying a word, they kind of, you know, patted me on the, on the back and just were extra kind to me and just showed that, hey, we got you. And um, And so from that point, you know, I kind of hit the hit the bottom, and then slowly just kind of worked out of it. Yeah, I finished out, had a big off season, and I just kind of decided, like, you know, that you're in the fork in the road, and you can quit, which I wanted to do. And, well, if quitting is not going to be an option, then just give your all. And I started doubling down on the things that I thought were really important and where I knew I could guarantee success. And one of those things was the weight room. You know, it's a no-brainer. You take two players with the same skill sets, and this one's faster, stronger, quicker, can jump higher, better balance, better condition. It's a no-brainer who the better player was. And I just thought, well, even if I don't improve my skills, if I can do those other things, my shooting, dribbling, passing will be enhanced. And so I spent a lot of time in the weight room, and that next year just worked really hard, ended up getting a scholarship the following year. So it was my sophomore year playing and even then, that was really tough because now that I'm on scholarship, I'm still not playing much. And I remember uh, we played at Michigan State in a tournament over uh, Thanksgiving, and my dad showed up for it. And we played Arkansas Little Rock. He flew all the way from Seattle to watch me play, and I didn't get in for one second. And I was just so embarrassed. And um, But what's kind of nice about putting the work in is you just keep doing it. It just becomes a habit. It just becomes who you are. And I went from not playing a second in that game to by the time season started, I was getting in the rotation. Wow. And by the end of the season, I was the first person off the bench. You know, it might be, you know, two minutes into the first half and I was getting subbed in and I was just doing all the little things, you know. And so it wasn't necessarily scoring. It was defending, diving on the floor, rebounding. And I just noticed, man, when I get in, if I could do those little things, we already had four other guys on the court that were all league players, all league guards. And uh, we made the NIT that year, and that's when I got my first career start. So I went from not playing a second over uh, Thanksgiving break to starting by the end of the season. And I think that 
success really showed me like just never quit, never give up. And, uh, and then from there, it just kind of amplified, you know, like I think when you find success and you find a little code that works, you just double down on it. And so, um, I think to be part of a program like Gonzaga was, I don't know if it would have worked other places because I had these teammates that really celebrated that too. You know, our starting point guard, Matt Santangelo, he would not pump me up when I made a shot. He would pump me up if I took a charge, you know, or dove on the floor. Richie Fromm was an all-league player, could shoot the lights out. And he'd be like, hey, man, he's like, if you, if you hold this guy to 10 points or less, I'm buying you a Gatorade. And so I was it, man. He's only going to score eight points today. And then he'd buy me a Gatorade after. And I just had teammates that, that just really valued what I did. And so I think I never felt insecure about not being a, the scoring title type person because I got so much recognition and so much appreciation for playing that kind of game. And so I think it was a combination of my personality kind of works like that. I like to kind of not necessarily grind because I enjoy what I do, but I like to do stuff when most people get bored of it. When most people kind of get tired or sore, that's when it kind of excites me to kind of go the next step. And so I think that was my personality. And then you, you know, combine that with an environment where the coaches and the teammates um, just really allowed me to be my best, which um, worked out well. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool because you have a very, you have an aura of belief in you. And it's crazy because I haven't met many people like that. You can really feel that. Um, I had a strength coach that I came in my freshman year and he had that. And it really allowed me to believe in myself too. But, you know, what you're really saying is you went through these things. You had a support system that pushed you through these adverse moments and you proved to yourself and showed yourself that if you believe, if you just keep working, it will pay off. And it's just so cool. Um, Fast forward to, you know, your senior year, and talk a little bit about, you know, the bigger adversities that, that happened to you after, you know, you, you started having this, um, you know, you're starting, you're, you're one of the best players on the team, one of the premier players on the team. Um, and, and how you get through those moments of adversity, like tearing your Achilles um, and different sort of things like that. Because you handled it. I heard from what I saw, mm-hmm. heard from other people, you handled it really well. So how did you do that? Well, you know, falling in love with the weight room. I think you learn a lot of lessons that you just see come to life. They're just truths. And one of the truths about the weight room is the only way to get stronger is to struggle. You can't get stronger by picking up the one-pound dumbbells and being comfortable. You know, you have to have to go through the pain and the adversity. And when you do that, it's not rocket science. If you want to get stronger in bench press, you get under a bar every single week for a couple of years, and you're going to get stronger if it's a struggle. And that's why I really love being a strength coach is I've never lifted any weights for any of my athletes. They have to do it. They have to go and do the struggle. But I get to be there to be the encouragement. You know, I get right. to be there to maybe make their work more effective. So maybe tweak their stance a little bit or their posture or their breathing or their focus. Yeah. You know, when they feel like cheating a rep or feel like quitting like I did, I want to be like the parent or the friend or the coach or the mentor that's like, hey, you got this. I believe in you because we all have the strength somewhere. And so, yeah, that was just a a huge part of who I was, was living in this weight room. And so I think when adversity hit my senior year, it was uh, the first round of the conference tournament. And 
I was having a good season. I'd become defensive player of the year, which was just a huge honor really to my team because we know that defense is not a one-person thing. You you could be the greatest defender in the world if you have four other people that aren't buying into the system. You're not a good defender. And so even though it is an individual award, it's really a great team award because you look at all the guys I played with and they were all really good defenders. And I did get beat quite a bit. <laughs> But no one ever saw it because as my guy beat me, there was always help there. And so that allowed me to take some more risks, to be a little more physical. And uh, yeah, going into that first round of the conference tournament, we're coming off an Elite Eight run. Um, we got a team that we think can make another deep tournament run. And I'm on the sideline in the first half, and I catch the ball, and I take a step, and I just feel this pop in the back of my leg. And I always tell the story like I felt like someone hit a, yeah. moved a baseball bat. And I'd never really experienced anything like that before um, where I was like looking around. I'm like, no one's there. You know, I tore my calf when I was in high school and it was the same type feeling where I thought I got kicked. But I'm like, oh, that makes sense. I actually tore my calf and I played the rest of the game because I just thought someone had kicked me in the calf. Well, I thought someone kicked me or hit me with a baseball bat in the Achilles, but I was on the wing and there was no one behind me. And I'm like, this is not good. And so... Um, yeah, my teammates help me off to the sideline and sit, and the doc comes over and puts his arm around me, and you know, basically, you know, in a loving way, he was a great doc. He's like, "Hey, you're you're done," you know. And I just remember just crying. I think you're just so amped up with emotions, and you know, you just everything is just running on rev so high at the end of the season, and to know that's how I was going to end my career was really tough. And so, um, we brought me back into the locker room in the first half. I'm just crying, and my dad comes. Uh, uh, let me just take a little drink here. Oh, no, yeah, it's uh, all good. My dad comes back, and once again, he's just always been that person for me, and same thing, like he just laid it out for me. It was just so awesome. He's like, hey, your team's going to come in, and you're going to you know, high-five all of them, and you're going to tell them, hey, this run isn't over. It's just begun. You know, He just laid out the speech for me. This is what you're going to do. And the whole time I'm like, I, I can't do that. You know, Can't you let me feel sorry for myself? Uh, and he just knew that there's these just certain moments where you know, they really matter. They're important. You know, like these, these moments that you're always going to remember, and you just want to make sure that you handle yourself in the right way. And so, yeah, my team came back, and... Thanks to my dad, I was able to, to at least, you know, be the teammate that I've always wanted to be. And, uh, and so, yeah, I just showed that face of strength, even though I wasn't feeling it. And, of course, is exactly what happened. You know, they just, however good we were playing, they all just raised their level up. And we have it on video, which is really cool. They have the cameras come in and uh, huddle everyone up. And my teammate, Matt Santangelo, told everyone, hey, we got a new mission. We're playing for that man right here. And he pointed at me, and I'm like, man, how lucky am I? I just have these teammates that are going to put me on their back. And they end up winning the WCC tournament again and going to the Sweet 16. And I always tell my, you know, tell people that I got teammates that got me a Sweet 16 ring. I didn't do it, you know. They, they did it for me. And so to be part of something bigger than yourself was just... It's just so awesome, and now it's been 25 years. Next year will be 25-year anniversary of when we went to the Elite Eight, and I look at that starting lineup. I look at all the guys, and half of them live here in Spokane, have moved from all over 
the Northwest and I get to see him on a weekly or monthly basis. And, you know, my old teammate from Australia and from the Bahamas, they're coming in next fall or next winter to be able to see me. And, um, yeah, those are just true friends that you've been through the highs and the lows with. And, um, and then to, yeah, just help you become something bigger and better than, than you thought you could be. That's powerful. That's powerful. We had a alumni come in this past Sunday, which makes me think about this. And he played in the NFL. He's got a picture of himself standing over Tom Brady. Pretty cool. Sack Tom Brady. But he talked about having that emotional connection to the game. And that's really what I'm hearing from you and everybody that was on that team. And that's what makes it mean so much more. It's still, you can evoke that emotion from yourself 25 years later, right? So it's just, it's just so incredible. Um, talk a little bit about, I know we talked a little bit before we had the cameras rolling about the building of Gonzaga and, you know, you were here for the start and now you're here to see it grow, grow, grow into a national contender uh, year in and year out. Um, talk a little bit about that because even for myself or anyone that's building an organization or part of something, it's really inspiring and cool to hear what you guys did. Yeah, it's been so fun and inspiring to see what the program has done over the years. It's still you know, it's magical to me. I don't know exactly how it's happening. My freshman year, we were fourth in the league and we lost in the first round of the conference tournament. Gonzaga had never won an NCAA tournament game. And so I was part of that group that was, you know, just kind of in the building phases where we went from, you know, that middle of the pack towards the middle upper pack to by my junior, senior year, we're in the Elite Eight Sweet 16. But mm-hmm. I think... Everyone thought that was a pretty good run. You know, the announcers would call Cinderella. I think most of us thought, like, can you really sustain this? And not only did Coach Few and his staff, and not just the staff, but the administration, the whole universities really wrap their arms around the basketball programs and mm-hmm. um, taken it to the next level and then the next level and the next level. And we've had, excuse me, we've had people come and go we've had great assistant coaches that have worked with coach few that have gone on to other places um you know coach few is one of the common denominator our athletic department the administration has been a common denominator with the mike ross and the chris stanifords shannon straws of the world yeah um and i i don't know i i mean i would study coach few like he is a John Stockton type person where I'm like, but we got one of the greatest coaches in the history of the game and I get to see him on a daily basis and I see him interact with his players, with his family, with the administration, with the public and what's really funny is most of the stuff I would do a different way. If this was my program, I would say this differently, I would act differently Um, and it just goes to show you that we would not be Gonzaga if we did it my way. He's doing something, even if it's just empowering the right people. And I don't know what it is. I think that the one thing maybe over the last 20 years that I've seen is he holds himself and others to a higher level of excellence and a higher standard than I think most people are comfortable with. And he's not afraid to have difficult conversations. He's really good at poking people. I don't even work with the men's basketball program on a day-to-day basis. I help out a little bit, but he's even poking me. And he just, you know, he, no one's coasting on this thing. You know, yeah, sure, I work with women's basketball, but I still better play a part, and I still better do my job. 
and whatever job I think I'm doing well, well, there's a higher level to it. Um, and so I think makes people feel uncomfortable, can rub people the wrong way. Um, but I think at the end of the day, everyone is happy with the ability to be able to be their best and to be able to keep stretching and growing. Right. What was your upbringing like? Because even when you talk about high school having that determination to, like, you want to carry a basketball around everywhere, it's crazy. What, like, what enabled you to be like this? Because um, obviously it, it didn't just happen when you got here. It already was happening, right? What, what was your upbringing like? Yeah, I don't know what why I am the way I am in terms of, I, I know there are, I know I worked hard at basketball and I work hard at guitar, but I don't know why I love basketball and why I love guitar. You know, why, why aren't other people drawn to that? So I don't know why I'm drawn to certain things. I think there's a lot of stuff in my DNA. You know, my grandfather was an alcoholic and a smoker. And one day he decided he was not going to drink anymore and never touched drop of alcohol he didn't go to AA or anything he's just like I'm not doing that and then another day he's like I'm not going to smoke anymore and after 50 years of smoking just never never picked up a cigarette and you know he was really young when I was really young when he's when he stopped drinking so I only remember a couple instances of him you know having too much to drink um but I heard the stories and that always was like something that was like appealing to me. Like, how do you, how do you stop drinking? How do you, you know, be so consistent with your nutrition or how do you, you know, be so consistent with your working out? And I think his answer would be, well, you just make up your mind and you do it. You know, like you can make a lot of excuses or you can just do it. And that just made sense to me, you know, like how do you forgive someone or how do you, you know, like not be mad about that? And I always just stop, like, well, what would my grandpa do? You know, he'd just be like, well, okay, this is the right thing to do. I'm going to do it. I'm going to change my mind and change my actions. And so, I don't know, it must be something in that DNA that just caused me to like to be drawn to that, you know, because a lot of my friends will say, oh, man, I would love to be able to sing or play guitar. And I'm like, well, all you have to do is grab the guitar. <laughs> just grab it and you can play but they don't want to do it enough to actually put the practice in. And I don't know why I like doing that stuff. You know, it's not, um, it's not hardship for me. A lot of, I I don't drink. And so a lot of people say, Oh, how do you have that self-discipline? I'm like, I don't want to, you know, like it's not, it's not something that's hard. It's something that I enjoy. Just like some people really genuinely enjoy playing golf. Golf would be hard for me. I, I'm looking at them saying, how do you go out in the courts for, six hours and swing a club and be frustrated, you know? Right. And so I think maybe a combination of making my mind up that I'm going to do it. And then the other thing is, um, just being lucky that the things I like to do work well for my family. They're not, (laughs) they're not destructive. Um, and that I have a, a job that allows me to learn about nutrition and leadership and strength conditioning. And so I think it would be really difficult if I was doing something I didn't love, but, it's really easy to make your mind up and to study or to apply what you know when you really love it. Mm. That's awesome. So transition now, you're not playing anymore and you start to, you know, you find this love for coaching too. And I thought it was really interesting because even with all the stuff that you're doing, you're very passionate about giving back contribution, all that sort of stuff. 
where does that come from too? Because that, that's a rare thing. A lot of people don't want to get outside of themselves. So, so why the interest for coaching and, and pouring back into others? Well, I think initially it was just selfish. Like I just always loved learning about nutrition and the human body. I've always wanted to learn how to jump higher and how to get stronger, mm-hmm. how to feel better, how to look better. And so I think selfishly, I'm like, wow, you can get paid to be a strength conditioning coach. This is amazing. And then I think you get into it and you see how it impacts other people. And I think that part's addicting too, to, you know, to be a small part in someone's journey and to see maybe what we do in the weight room or with nutrition or with, with leadership impact their lives and their game. I think that part is probably selfish too, but it just feels good to, you know, to be a small part of the process. And uh, I got a great example. I got a lot of great examples in my life. My mom is probably one of the best servant leaders I've ever seen. And she's just so selfless. And, you know, she's just so great at being able to look at the things that are really important in her life and then to serve those things. And so she really values family and being connected. And so she spends a lot of hours throughout the week trying to find ways to keep my brothers and my sister and all the nieces and nephews and grandkids, keep us all connected. And so I think I got to see that my whole life growing up without knowing it mm-hmm. and not, not even really appreciating it until I had kids. And once I had kids and realized how hard it is to be a parent and how selfless it is, and then I looked at what she and my dad did, and I'm like, they did that for five kids? And I'm just in awe of how well they took care of us, you know, how we were able to get to all our sports and have family dinners and take family vacations. Even when we didn't have money at the time, we found a way to just make family a priority. And so now that I'm older and I'm looking back and I'm like, she's amazing. And now I'm appreciating how she even does it to this day. And so, yeah, I think those things have all kind of combined to where it just works, you know, I I love servant leadership, and I want to keep heading in that direction, even though I'm not great at it, I feel like, man, whatever you focus on expands, whatever you pay attention and put work into, you can improve upon, and so I think having that desire to just want to be more like my mom and and give back, and then also just this natural fit, because even if I wasn't giving back, even if I wasn't a strength coach here, and I retired, and I wasn't training anyone, I'm still going to learn about the human body just because it's just fascinating to me. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you go into coaching, but then let's talk a little bit about your approach to giving back to the community. Talk a little bit about, you know, being a founding member of U district and how, like, how did you approach giving back to the the Spokane community initially? I went back to a camp, um, there's a gentleman named Gary Gray who I was telling you about earlier, and he's the John Stockton of human movement. Right. And he runs a basketball camp that's free to all the kids in his community in Adrian, Michigan. And he invited me to come and work the camp. And I was really excited about it because he's really like a mentor to me in, in human movement and function. And so when I go see him in that environment, I'm really intimidated because, you know, it's like he's the smartest mind on the planet. And I want to be good at it. It's my full-time profession, but I really feel inadequate. And he would never make me feel. He's always telling me how great I am. He's always pumping me up. But I just know how much he knows. And then when he told me he's doing a basketball camp, I thought, oh, well, here's an area where I can really give back. Yeah. Here's an area where I can maybe be a leader and feel more confident. 
And so I remember flying back on the plane in Michigan and just thinking about, okay, man, if we do uh, one-on-one drills, two-on-two, three-on-three, five-on-five, what are ball handling skills, what are shooting drills? I'm just racking my brain for, I don't know how many kids are going to show up. I don't know what the situation is, but I'm just making sure I'm really well prepared so when I come to work this camp and he needs me to be a leader somewhere, I'm going to crush this thing, you know. And we show up, and the camp is actually at his house. He's on 10 acres. Wow. And he's got three full-court glass backboard basketball courts at his house. And then on the 10 acres on the grass, he also has another probably 10 basketball courts that are just on the grass in different places. And then he's got like this slip-and-slide area that's probably, I think it's 40 yards by whatever this is, maybe 15, 20 feet. And I'm like walking over to his house and I'm like, this is amazing. And we meet in his house and there's all these guys that range from, at the time I was in my probably mid-20s, late-20s. So maybe younger guys like me, there's 40-year-olds, there's some older gentlemen that were there. All these guys just in his room and he calls us into the living room. All right, let's get this thing rocking. And he's like, okay, here's how the camp's going to work. He said... Excuse me. He said, uh, I want these kids to have so much fun and feel so loved and encouraged that at the end of the day today, that they're going to be holding on to our legs because they don't want to go home. And he said, oh, and if, and if they get better at basketball, that's cool too. And I'm like, I've never heard of any basketball camp like this ever. And it was like that. You know, you... You go, there's a ball handling station, there's a one-on-one station, they lower the hoop down, and there's a dunk station, and they have, they call, I think might call them uh, the comfort cart or something like that. They have these little, they have uh, um, golf carts. Then on the back of them have Rice Krispie treats, Gatorades, fruit snacks, granola bars, and this is free to all kids in the community. So there's, I don't know, there might be a couple hundred kids there, all, all the boys, there's a girls camp later on. And so after a drill, if you want to go get a Rice Krispie treat, you go get, you want to get a Gatorade, all free. And then, then you go to a grass station and you play, um, you know, three on three, no dribbles in the grass. And then at lunchtime, we jogged half a mile down the road as a whole group, all the coaches, the kids, and uh, you go to one of his friend's house and they have like a little pond at their house, and their friend barbecues for you, and then some of the kids swim in the pond, and we jog a half mile back, and then they have the world's largest egg toss, and so you're doing egg tosses with your partner while people are doing karaoke and skipping underneath you, and then the winners get to smash eggs on Gary Gray's head. They got the two-hand touch football on the slip and slide. They got full-time people just with hoses going down, and... It was amazing that four days of this, free to all kids in the community. Four now, the days. last the last day, they have a big barbecue, like a big potluck. All the families come, and then you head over to the auditorium where Gary gives awards, and they have all the seniors, the older people that are like the team captains and our leaders for the younger people. And I was like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever thought, you know, I've ever seen. And I remember Gary giving the speech, and he said, uh, a lot of people think I'm so selfless and so giving for doing this camp, but the truth is, I was just really selfish. He said, I, I thought about this camp when I had two young boys, 
and I had all these great men in my life who I wanted my, my young sons to be around. And so selfishly, I started this basketball camp so my sons could be around all these great men. And I just thought, well, we'll invite up kids in the community. And it's grown into this. And that this was uh, about 16 years ago because we were pregnant with my son Carter at the time. Mm. And I was thinking, man, I got so many great men in my life, all my old teammates, all my friends. And I'm like, I want to do the same thing. I want to, I want my kids, my future kids to be around these great people. And I'm like, what a great fit. And I remember coming back to U District saying, we got to do a camp similar to this. And so that's one of the first things that we did with our foundation was we do a free kids camp every year. It's changed since COVID, but it was a four-day camp free to all kids in the community. And we do it different. We have a basketball station, but we have a soccer station. We have an agility ladder station. We have a Vertex station. We have a stability ball station. We have a nutrition station. And so we have all of our strength conditioning coaches, Gonzaga, U-District strength conditioning coaches, physical therapists. All of us come. We have volunteers in the community. And we just put on a free camp for kids. Everyone gets T-shirts and wristbands. We have guest speakers, people like you. I'll probably rope you in to come and give Absolutely. a talk. Um, and the idea is, is, man, when they're down there, can, can they feel so loved and encouraged that they don't want to leave? And we want them to equate fitness with fun. You know, fitness doesn't have to be I'm getting yelled at and one more rep and no pain, no gain. Fitness can be, oh my gosh, I had so much fun laughing and giggling and chasing my friends and playing tug of war that I just, I can't even move. I'm so, I'm so tired. And so we started with that and it's moved into a lot of cool stuff. We have a, a fun run series that we just do right here on the trail. It's a time 5K for adults and 1K for kids and David's Pizza comes out, free pizza for everyone. Uh, we have a mentorship program, which has been awesome, where we uh, basically, like big brothers and big sisters, we can just do it for roughly half the cost. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we have a family challenge where we have uh, kids that are referred to us by pediatricians that are at risk for type 2 diabetes uh, that, have, uh, that are struggling with their weight. And we have one of their parents or guardians come and for 30 minutes we do education nutrition stuff we go to the grocery store teach them how to make healthy meals and then the next 30 minutes they work out as a family together same thing it doesn't have to be something that's intimidating Um, it could just be fun games you show them how to just be active with their body and so um, yeah having someone like Gary Gray really line it out and to be able to just see it in person to live it and see how much these kids love doing it and seeing how much the coaches loved it. I mean, I got so much value out of that. And traditional basketball camps are great. You know, there's value there. But it's a little different when your whole purpose is, can we just make this a great experience for kids? And so that's what really started the Udistic Foundation and and really just the need to, to want to give back. You know, the I'm inspired by all the stuff that you're doing because most people don't do this until they retire, you know, until they look back and they say, I want to do something significant with my life. And to have someone doing it while they're still in school and all their athletic obligations is really unheard of. Um, And I'm just lucky I was able to see it in my 20s and and be able to start it. Wow. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. And that is such an incredible story about how you you came to that. I think it's just so cool too because a lot of people will go to that event and just be like, what a great event. 
all right, <laughs> you know, but you took something from it and you took action on it. Nobody asked you to take action. Nobody told you to, but it just came upon you. Super, super cool. I wanted to make it happen. Okay. That's right. Nice. Nice. You're starting to get it. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about Hooptown because we talked a little bit about that on the phone. I think that's kind of, you know, along with all this stuff, a lot of it I didn't even know about that you just told me. Uh, Hooptown is probably one of the bigger projects that you've taken on after playing, right? Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit about that and the creation of that. Yeah, I've been on the Hoop Fest board for the last, oh, I think, seven, eight, nine years. And, uh, and same with the AAU. And got to coach all my kids in AAU. And that's been a, a great experience. But as you go through, you start to see some of the cracks and some of the things that really need to be improved upon. And one of the sad things that we've noticed is a trend since 2010 of a youth, uh, a decline in youth sports, uh, particularly competitive basketball. Mm -hmm. And so really from 2010 to 2019, right before the pandemic, we had almost shrunk by 50% participation and really saw it significantly impact girls' basketball. My daughter, this is 2018, 2019, this was the first time in 30 years there weren't enough teams to have a fourth grade girls AAU league. And if you know anything about Spokane girls basketball, it's been a powerhouse. It's been even more, um, more talent and better basketball than on the boys' side. You know, every year we have about 10-ish Division One recruits come out of Spokane. Wow. And... Today, there's only one. Next year's class, there's only one. And what we've seen is not only is it youth basketball that this decline in participation is impacting, now it's gone all the way through the high schools. Uh, last year, East Valley, this is a state championship team a few years back. They didn't have enough girls to form a freshman team or a JV team. They only had eight total girls in the whole school. They barely could get a varsity team together, and their varsity team couldn't even play five-on-five. And so you look at something like that in a basketball town. We call ourselves Hoop Town. You know, we should have the best girls basketball on the planet. And unfortunately, it's just been dying. And so, you know, the change to the Hoop Town Youth League was not something that we necessarily wanted to do. We felt like we had to do it. You know, if we didn't do anything in two years, girls competitive youth basketball would be dead. There'd be no options. You know, last year we opened up registration, or the previous year, for third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade girls basketball. And there weren't enough teams to form a league. I think there was only a seventh and eighth grade league. And last year I think there was only eighth grade league, which means this next year, if we didn't do anything, there would be no competitive girls basketball. And so we just pulled together all the people in our community that love basketball, and we have so many people um, at Eastern uh, the men's and the women's basketball staffs, both when they heard about this problem, said, we're on board. You just, you just tell us where to sign, where to be. Not only will the head coaches be there, but all our whole staffs will be there to help. Whitworth University, men's and women's basketball staff said the same thing. Incredible. You know, Coach Few and Coach Lisa here at Gonzaga, same thing. And now we have all the colleges here in Spokane on board to be able to donate their time. We brought in pros, you mentioned Guys like Dan Dickow, we have the Craig Elos of the world, we have retired college coaches, we have NBC camps, we have, I mean, just hosts of people, athletic directors, high school coaches, everyone coming out and saying, okay, 
if we wiped the slate clean, if we started from scratch, and this is really Hooptown USA, how could we build the best youth basketball league on the planet? And we think we came up with a really good idea, which is to create more opportunity and access by making it either really inexpensive or free for kids, by making it to where you could sign up as an individual to play competitive basketball because the landscape for the last 30 years, whether you play YMCA or whether you play AAU, the only way to play competitive basketball is for a kid. Now picture this, a fourth grade kid has to get their own team, has to get their own coach, has to buy their own uniforms, and has to rent their own gym time, which is really hard to do. Which third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade kid is going to be able to do that? And so what we're able to do now with the Hooptown League is now you can sign up as an individual and you're going to get put on a team with kids that you'd be going to high school with. Mm. And if you're a competitive player, you're going to be with the competitive kids. If you're a sixth grader that had never played basketball before, we're going to put you on a rec team with other kids that you're going to, be go, to, high, that you're going to go to high school with. And it's really about an eighth of the price, maybe six of the price of what it would normally cost to, to play um, basketball. For some kids, it's free. And so now you're practicing at a local elementary school that a lot of kids could walk to. And the first year we took our lumps in terms of we found out you know, a lot of stuff that we, we have to keep improving upon. But the cool thing is we went from um, girls basketball dying to we had over 3,000 kids participate in the Hooptown League last year. Wow. Uh, just a huge success. And we think we'll probably have about 5,000 this year because of the great experience people had and then all the changes that we're going to make. And so that's just been a huge undertaking, and it just shows the power of a team. And I love what you're doing to make it happen. You'll find that you have to recruit people. You know, you have to team up with Make-A-Wish. You have to team up with these other organizations because you need a lot of people to kind of get that ball moving in the right direction. And, And so you had to be part of a team, all the Hooptown committee members, all the... Uh, athletic directors and superintendents. Um, I mean, so many people came out of the woodwork to make this thing happen. So it's just a huge blessing for me to be a small part of it. I'm just one of those many volunteers that are just yeah. kind of putting a lot of time in to make sure that kids have a place to play. Really cool. Wow. And that's that's huge change. And even I think it's really cool you're, you're mentioning the patterns, right? It's such a incredible skill to have pattern recognition, noticing that the, the Division One the amount of Division One basketball, women's basketball players is going down. And that's a direct correlation because, I mean, you never know. You get people in the right system. I was telling someone the other day, I went to this pro-am camp in Canada when I was seven, was dropping every ball. You never would have guessed I would have went D1, be the only guy to go D1 out of that camp. But you never know who you're going to bring in. So I think it's so incredible, especially, like you said, giving that opportunity and access, right? Those are the words. Yeah. Um, and, and the really the things that you're giving to those kids, super, super cool. So let's talk a little bit about um, hoop commitment. Yes. And the coolest thing that I like about this, and I was going to tell you this earlier, I don't know if you've ever noticed this about yourself, or you probably have because you're a super self-reflective guy, but, you know, when you played here, you found your niche, basketball, defensive player, all that sort of stuff. And with hoop commitment, I just I noticed it's so apparent. You're like, I want to give resources to basketball players that are trying to get better. You didn't go somewhere else and we talked about doing things in the community said I'm gonna do what I'm great at I got basketball skills leadership knowledge that's what I'm gonna attack so um, talk a little bit about is that something you intentionally did you learned from a mentor like to really find your niche Um, and 
and then talk about how you kind of integrated that and, and created Hoop Commitment, how that came about. Well, I'm going to mention Gary Gray another time nice. because he's just been a huge mentor and uh, just made a huge impact on my life. And one of the lessons he taught me was the power of three planes of motion or the power of 3D. And as a strength coach, um, most of the stuff that I've done up to that point was all in one plane. You know, I was bench pressing, rowing, curling, shoulder pressing, planking, crunching. Everything was that linear. And when he talked about the power of three planes of motion, it just kind of blew my mind because it was this self-evident truth. And what he would say is three is a magic number on planet Earth. He would say that the tripod is the most stable structure. So if you take away one leg, it's no longer stable. If you add a fourth leg, you're adding complexity without adding equal value. So three is the wow. simplest form of complexity. And you see it everywhere in nature. You see there are only three primary colors that make up every color that we see in mm -hmm. nature. You see that there are um, only three energy systems. You see that there are the mind, body, spirit is probably the most time-tested power of three. And so I started thinking, yeah, well, what are my three? You know, what are, what are the three things that I'm really going to dig into? And if I talk about my strength, conditioning, philosophy, what are those things going to be? And that's where I came up with eat, train, lead. Because as a basketball strength conditioning coach, a lot of times people think the training part is really important, and it is. Um, but you don't get stronger in the weight room, you get weaker. And so if you can do 20 pull-ups when you first come in the weight room, you probably only could do five when you leave. Our goal right. is to break down your body. And so this just creates the stimulus for change where you really get stronger is outside the weight room with proper nutrition and, and sleep recovery. And so I always tell people, you cannot be a great strength coach if you're not a great nutritionist. And so yeah. I knew part of it was going to be the training piece, but part of it had to be the nutrition piece. Mm -hmm. And what you'll find is that if you eat well, your workouts are so much better because fuel, what you eat is literally the fuel to be able to lunge, squat, bench. And then if you want to put on five pounds of muscle, 100% of that is going to come from the food that you eat. And so I had two pieces of the tripod. And then what became really uh, evident is anyone can tell someone to jump on a box or eat breakfast. Um, but why aren't most people doing it? If you know that you're supposed to work out, you know you're supposed to eat well, how come most people are not taking care of their bodies and getting the most out of it? And I think that's where the leadership piece comes in. And um, I did the master's program here at GU, and it was a life changer for me. I just learned so much, and that's where I really got exposed to servant leadership. And I thought, well, that would be my, my tripod. You know, I really want to improve our athletes' ability to, to eat so they can train better. And what you're discovering with Make It Happen is you want to do things that are legendary, that... Uh, transcend sport and transcend basketball. Right. And I tell people that leadership is the most important skill in sport, more important than shooting, dribbling, passing, because if you don't have leadership on a team, it doesn't matter how good this person can shoot. If their teammates don't have a connection, they're not going to get them the ball at the right time. Yeah. We already talked about you cannot be a great defender if you don't have four other people on the court that have your back, that have synergy. And so leadership enhances all of those sports-specific skills. But the difference between leadership and defense or leadership and shooting is leadership is one of the few skills that serves you well after your playing days are over. And, you know, I was a good defender. That does not have any impact on my ability to parent right. or to be a husband. And so 
I just think that's where I really came up with those three. And then what's really fun is once you kind of start seeing the simplest form of complexity, you really start to get a better grasp on, okay, well, do I really understand nutrition? If I do, how can I break it down into three? Do I really understand movement? If you really understand movement, you understand that there's a sagittal, frontal, and transverse plane that makes up every single movement that you make on and off the basketball court. And so that was really fun to start just building out things in threes as you go through. And the reason I call it hoop commitment is because uh, I tell people, if you're not committed, I can't help you. And I could be the best nutritionist, the best strength coach in the world. But if you're not committed, nothing I, nothing I say or do is going to make you better because you actually have to pick up the weight. You, know, you actually have to wake up and eat breakfast. I can't, I can't feed you. So if you're not, not committed, I can't help you. But the cool thing is, if you are committed, I can't stop you. And we've seen that, you know, we're so lucky to be here with all these resources. But there's a lot of people that don't have any of these resources. But if their mindset is right, they're going to be, they're gonna be the, their best version of themselves. And so, yeah, that's what all kind of, you know, tied together. My single focus is commitment. And if you make a commitment to nutrition, well, I got a path to be able to get you. I have a threefold path. Um, if you make a commitment to leadership, I can't make you a better leader, but if you want to make the commitment, here's a path to be able to get there. And I've just been in the last you know, 10 years of my life just seeing if I could just keep molding that. And it's really nice when you have a structure like that, when you have three things that you're really digging into, and all of those three things have three things that you can kind of organize stuff with. As I learned in uh, a nutrition tidbit, or when I learned I just was at a strength conditioning conference this past weekend, now I have a file cabinet for all those things I've learned. There's a place... Um, versus where in the past where I went to conferences and you learn something new. And it's hard to kind of fit it in because, you know, there's nothing's organized. You know, it's like you have all these drills and you're like, oh, you forget them. It's like having everything disorganized in your closet. But when everything's color coordinated and everything's there, you have the right tool right when you need it. Um, and so it's just been a fun journey to be able to to know for the next 10 years, I'm going to keep digging in, into nutrition, into leadership, and I'm going to keep learning from the smartest minds. And so I even lo- you know, love learning from you. And as, as you inspire me with the things you say, I'm like, oh, that would be a good little thing to add in this part of the leadership loop. Um, yeah, and that's where Hoop Commitment came from. Wow, really cool. And don't even, don't even get me started. There's <laughs> so much I've learned from you through other people, which is a testament to your leadership. I mean, obviously, everyone that's listened to the podcast has already heard the three levels of leadership. This is Coach Mike. This is who it's from. So it's really cool that we were able to share that. TJ shared it. Coach TJ shared that. And that was all through you. So it's really, really cool that you're working through others. Really, really cool. I really admire that. Um, That's awesome. And everyone can check all your stuff out. I'll link it all in the the show notes because your website is absolutely incredible. We were talking about it before. But you can go see. It's three with the three things under all of them and even leadership, right? It's just, it's a genius. I love it. And the think, say, do, it's all, it's super cool how you've made it actionable. Um, you know, obviously being as intelligent as you are and, and having all this knowledge, you got to be a little bit of a reader, right? Oh, yeah. So what are some of your book recommendations or, or ones that stick out to you that really um, were a game changer for you? You know, we all have those. Yeah, there was a, a guy I studied a couple years ago named Dr. Berardi. And he's a nutritionist. And so basically every year I pick one person to study 
And then I put a calendar on my wall and I commit to studying them for at least 15 minutes a day. And wow. so, you know, the year I studied precision nutrition and Dr. Berardi, it was awesome because I became a level one sports nutritionist through PN. And then I did mm-hmm. the year long master's program. You do their online specializations. You just really dig into it. And I love finding one area and digging deeper. But one of the books that he recommended was a book called Range. And it talked about the importance of not just digging deep in one area, but finding connections. And so if I really want to be a good nutritionist, I should probably study guitar a little more. Wow. And if I want to really be a good nutritionist, I should probably should study basketball a little more. And what's really cool is when you start having these different areas that don't seem like they have connections, as you dig deeper into them, you start seeing these principles that are govern all things on the planet. And so what I found is I've learned a lot about strength conditioning through real estate. You know, I've learned a lot about real estate through my vocal lessons that I do. And so I have a wide range of books that I really love to read. Um, the one that I've really enjoyed recently is a book called The Art of Learning. And it's by a guy named Josh Waitskin, who was a chess child prodigy. He was a national chess player from the time he was like a champ from like 8 to 18 uh, they uh, did a movie called Chasing Bobby Fisher that was written about his life. Okay. And, um, and so you can look, he's one of the smartest minds in the world. Then when he gets in his 20s, he gets really into meditation and Tai Chi and breathing and then gets into the combat form of it and starts fighting. And he becomes a world champ in push hands, which is kind of like jujitsu. And what's amazing is not very often do you have someone that is a world champ in fighting, which is mostly a physical thing you would think, and also a world champ or national champ in chess, which is mental. And this book just spoke to me. It's just been so awesome. And it talked about how he solved these complicated chess problems when he's on the blacktop shooting hoops in New York and how everything is connected. And when you really understand one thing at its core... You understand everything. And so uh, I love the book so much. My son Carter, who's a freshman in high school, we're doing a little book study together and we read one chapter at a time. And so I think that one is just so awesome because it kind of talks about the importance of looking at these underlying principles. And so we, we talked about it with 3D. You know, if you really understand leadership, you understand how it applies in three-part three progression. And if you really understand movement, you understand the three planes of motion, and if you really understand color, and so these all these principles that are like that that you can kind of figure out. So that's one of my favorite books, and another one of my f- favorite authors is probably Thich Nhat Hanh, and he has a book called Living Buddha, Living Christ, and that one has probably been the most impactful book for me because I didn't grow up in a religious household. You know, my parents are always so loving, but we never went to church. You know, and when it came time for me to really start questioning that. They said, figure it out, you know, we'll support you. You know, if, if you want to go to church, wow. of course, we'll go to church with you. Um, and so they really wanted me to be able to kind of figure out my own truth, which was really hard for me because I wanted them to tell me, well, just tell me what to believe. And if you tell me the Bible is right, then I'll just believe that. Right. And they basically kind of said, we don't know. We have our own beliefs, but you got to figure it out for yourself. And so that's the household I grew up in. And then. Uh, years later, as I kind of went off to college, they actually started getting into religion. 
And so now my parents are born again Christians, my sister, you know, my brothers. And so my family really got into Christianity and they go to church every single Sunday. Um, and so that was really hard for me because they really dug into that. And I was like, I'm unsure, you know, especially because my wife and my other brother, who's, you know, been my best friend since I was a kid, they're not Christians. And so I really had a hard time reconciling all of that, you know, like, how do I stay true to my wife and my brother if this concept of heaven and hell is real? And then how do I also be with my family, my parents, my other sister and brothers? And don't get me wrong, there's no, there's no uh, divide um, that they judge me or anything. It was mostly just me trying to figure out wrestling with, uh, do I believe this? Do I not? Right. And then I read this book called Living Buddha, Living Christ. And it was the first time where I really um, thought, well, if this is what Christianity is, then well, of course I'm a Christian, you know. And it's kind of interesting that a Buddhist would um, kind of turn me in that path, you know. And it's just, uh, it just touches on those governing principles. These are the principles of life that you cannot avoid. You, you, you can't avoid interdependence. You can't have, you, there's just no way of um, logically showing that we're not all connected. Without the sun, there is no me. If there was no sun, I wouldn't be alive. Without the soil and the plants, there would be no me. Without the rain, and you start to see that we're all interdependent. And I just love how he would just take these principles and apply them to different faiths. And so that's a book that I've read a few times that I just love. And, and then it's kind of cool because when I read that book, it makes me a better strength coach and it makes me a better leader. Wow. It makes me a better nutritionist. And so, um, yeah, most of the books I read now, it's kind of fun to be able to dig into a book on, like I said, I love reading about real estate. And you look at these fundamental principles mm -hmm. of of mathematics that are just like, it's not an opinion. This is the truth. This is the way it works. Um, and so, yeah, those have been all really just influential in my life. Really cool. So obviously as a coach, you deal with, um, maybe I would say mathletes or athletes that aren't as motivated as others, or sometimes you see something in someone that they don't see for themselves. What's your approach to motivating athletes? Obviously you said, if you're not committed, I can't help you, but you're an inspiring coach, right? So I'm sure you've, you've touched a lot of people's lives in terms of sparking, being a catalyst for change. So what's your approach to that? You know, I've I really learned a lot from being a parent and my parenting style is not perfect for everyone, but I really feel like it works well for my family. And so I really love basketball. And so I thought, well, I want my kids to be able to experience this. Or I really love music and I love guitar and so I want my kids to be able to experience it. And so one way of doing it is to just hope, wish, pray. I really hope my, my son likes guitar one day. Another way of doing it is put him in lessons or, you know, make them do it or have a checklist, make it homework. Hey, you know, like you did, didn't do this well, you got to go play guitar or you got to work out. And I've always just liked the idea of, you know, create this environment where it's fun. And even if it doesn't work out, we still win because I got to be with my kids. And so you take guitar for an example of the reason why most people don't play guitar is because it's really difficult. It's a really long learning curve. Uh, you feel uncoordinated. You feel stupid. 
your hands hurt, you know, you do it for a few minutes and your hands just, you know, like they, if you play too long, your hands bleed. Right. And so most people get inspired to do something like guitar. Yes, I want to. And after a week, they feel uncoordinated, they feel stupid, their hands hurt, and they quit. And what's been cool with my kids is I'm like, hey, we're just going to pick it up for literally two minutes. And I'm not teaching you necessarily. We're doing it together. You know, it's not me just standing there. I have a guitar on my lap. You have a guitar on your lap. And so, hey, let me put your hands just like that. That's called a C chord. I love it. Okay. Tomorrow. Hey, remember this? Next day. And we just touch it. And at the beginning, you only touch it for two minutes. Then you could touch it for five minutes. Then you could touch it for 10 minutes. And pretty soon, you're like, this is called the C and this is a G. And you just work on those little chord progressions. And at this time, they're not having very much fun uh, because they're not playing music. But they are finding success because they can go, that's amazing. That's so awesome. Right. And once you can do three chords, you can play a lot of songs. And it's amazing how if you can get them to that point where they can play a few songs, then they're kind of proud of themselves. They can play something for grandma and grandpa. Then you fast forward a couple months, they can play more songs. They're starting to get calluses on their fingers. And you fast forward a year, and once they hear a song on the radio, and that might be a year or two years, and they're like, I love this song. I want to learn it. And they go do it without dad. Then they have it. And so it's been fun. My son, I think I told you, he's 15, and... He's not a good, he's a great guitar player. He can, like, the most complicated John Mayer song, he can hear it and he can play it. You know, the Neon song, which is kind of like the Holy Grail of John Mayer's, he's, like, doing slapping and singing at the same time. And it just came not for me, like, hey, got to be tough. You got to do this. It's like, hey, man, let's have fun. And, you know, we go on vacation. We go on, we're going to go to Seattle this weekend. We'll bring our guitars and we do duets together. We have fun stuff. I back him up. He backs me up. Hey, do you want to play the solo or do you want me to play the solo? Do you want to sing lead? And then it's just so fun because he's become a really good guitar player. And we do the same thing with basketball. Um, Unfortunately for me, basketball is going the same way the guitar is going. You know, I was like this. And now I'm actually getting better at guitar, but he passed me. Now with basketball, it's been me getting worse and he just passed me this past year. Um, hopefully I'm making a second coming now, a comeback. Right, second win. Second win. Um, but that's always just been my philosophy is, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can clean the house. You know, we can clean the house and it, everyone could be crying and in a bad mood and grumpy. Or we can put on our favorite music and we can have a competition and we can do it for a purpose because my mom gets home tonight. She's going to be so pumped. Oh, Mom is going to be so excited when she sees your room clean or when the dishes are done. And then afterwards, let's, you know, let's eat a good dinner. Let's celebrate. We'll play Monopoly, whatever that is. And I think there's so many different ways to put work in. And for sure, sometimes it's hard and stressful. But I've always just loved that idea of, man, if there's two philosophies on the table. You know, actually, my, my mentor, one of my friends told me this. Like, if there's two philosophies on the table. Don't let the crappy one win. There's two ways to parent. Don't let the crappy one win. If there's two ways to coach. And so I've always just loved that idea of I want my athletes to find success in here. Because bottom line is the only time they do the rep if I'm over there screaming at them, well, I can't look at every rep. And 99% of the reps they do are going to be with me watching one of their teammates. And so they got to love it. They got to, they got to, I got to be there with them at the beginning 
you know, I got to pick the appropriate weight, the appropriate exercise. I got to encourage them a lot, but I got to find a way to be able to let them know that this is important to them. So when I'm not there in the summer, all my ladies are gone. The whole team is gone. Not one's in the weight room. If I did a good job, they're all getting a workout today. Not because coach would be disappointed, but because they love the way it makes their body feel. They love the results. They love being proud of themselves for setting a goal and accomplishing it. And so, um, you know, some people think that it's soft, um, and it might be soft, but I always look at the results and I'm like, well, if it works for guitar and my son is a great guitar player and if it works for basketball and for a 15 year old, my son's a great basketball player for 15, then it's got to work for strength conditioning. You know, it's these governing principles. Um, and I think the cool thing is even if it doesn't work, because the bottom line is, you know, my son's going to go play in the NBA that's what he tells me, and so I believe him. And if he doesn't make the NBA, if he doesn't make varsity next year, if he doesn't play college basketball, we didn't waste one second of our time because even though our sights we were headed in the direction of NBA, uh, we loved every stop of the journey. You know, it's not about the NBA. It's about him coming to GU and him, him and I getting shots up and playing one-on-one and doing drills and watching the NBA finals and you know, I think if you enjoy the journey, then you've already won. And so that's kind of how I take strength conditioning is whether or not you can bench press 300 pounds or whether or not you're the starter, you were your best and we enjoyed the process. And then that guarantees your win. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to leave today being in awe. Like this is because that's one issue that I have sometimes. It always has to be the hardest way because that's how I got. And that's really just a story I'm telling myself, right? But I, you know, you, I watch Rocky, and it's like the grind, the grind, yeah. right? And sometimes it's like that. But wow, that is so cool! And what an incredible. Once again, you're just taking lessons from experiences that you're having, and I and I saw that on your website where you're like, let's just do five minutes of ball handling, and I love that because you said it, and it's true. Though sometimes the hardest part is just getting warm. Once you get warm in the weight room, yeah. it becomes a great lift, and you get in the flow. But that just just taking that first step is, is so powerful and so cool that, that you've done it and, and have an example of it. Um, what's your advice to this next generation of athletes coming up? You know, really it is to make a commitment because as much as I tell you things are fun, we're human and we're meant to be sad. We're meant to be unmotivated. We're meant to be jealous we're meant to be angry like there's every single person that's lived on this planet has gone through those and i think the the masters in the art of living are the people that can transform that you know we've all experienced pain and pain is good we just don't want to sit there for too long and so i love the rocky stories and the rocky stories ring true because i've been through those tough times i've been scared and i've been afraid that what do people what if I get exposed for who I truly am, which is the scared person? Um, and the sad part about the Rocky thing, though, is if he doesn't become a success, the stress was too much. We talked about earlier, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, some things do kill you. They kill your spirit, you know. And so I think sometimes the grind and that, I hate it, I hate it so damn hard, but now I made it to the top. You know, we see people make it to the top and we think that's, uh, you know, like brilliant and so good.
But for every person that makes the top, there's 99 people that fail. And what I love about the other way of doing it, and it's not the perfect way or the only way, but another option is you enjoy the journey. And most of it is exciting. And if you don't make it to the top, you still win. But what I found is you're more likely to make it to the top when you do those things. And we all know that you cannot be a great football player. You can't be a great athlete by only lifting for five minutes a day. That's not it. But I tell you what, more people harm themselves by lifting for an hour on their first time in the weight room. More people harm themselves. I want to get in shape. I'm going to go run 10 miles on my first day. It's not, I mean, it's the exact wrong thing to do. More people never become good guitar players because they want to play for an hour the first day. Right. And so I think the point with the commitment is just keep going. On those days, we all feel sick, tired, unmotivated. Those are the days where you just do five minutes. You know, I think I, I might have shared with you on the day I had my heart surgery. And the day after was even worse. You know, going into open heart surgery. But I made a commitment and I have to do my 15 minutes of studying. And so that year I was studying a guy uh, named Lenny Parasino, who uh, is an expert on fascia. And so I have to be at the hospital. I can't remember the time, maybe like six in the morning. And so I get up an additional 50 and I have to wake up and scrub my whole body down. Well, then after I do that, I wake up early enough to where I can get my studying in. And as I sit down to study, my wife says, you're not studying today. And I'm like, you know me, but you've been married to me for 20 years. Of course I'm going to study today because it's 15 minutes. And you don't make commitments for your best day. You make goals for your best day. On my best day, like I'm studying singing this year, and I might sing for two hours today. That's a goal, you know. But what's my commitment? You make commitments for your worst day. The day where I'm having heart surgery, I'm not breaking the chain. I'm going to study for 15 minutes. The next day was even harder because I was in and out of consciousness. You know, I'm drugged right. up. and But I already had a game plan. I knew I was going to study the, you know, he has a whole online certification. I'm going to study the 10 observational essentials. I'm going to go through these principles in my mind. And I only can do it in five-minute increments. But I just think that's just so important of whatever you want to do. And that's the part where I, I can't. I can't help people is like, I can't make you want to get, be good at basketball. If you're like, I don't know if basketball is that important to me. I don't know what, what's inside me that wanted to be good at it. You know, I don't know if it came from watching my cousin blue when I was younger, or if it was just something in my genetics. But once you know what you want to do, then you make a commitment. And I've done this for eight. Oh gosh. Well, what, what year did I start on this? I think it's about eight or nine years. So I have thousands of X's in a row. And you just make a commitment. This is what I'm going to do for 2023. You know 2024 is coming, whether we do anything constructive or not. And you can totally transform your life in one year in any area that you want to. And so if, if, if you were an athlete that said, hey, I really want to be smart at nutrition, I would say you, you could be one of the smartest nutritionists in the whole city in one year if you make a commitment to study for 15 minutes a day. And on your sick days, your wow. tired days, you have a migraine, you can study for 15 minutes. You can do anything for 15 minutes. And on your best days, you might study for three or four hours, you know. I might study eight hours in a day just because I'm fired up about it, you know. Um, but what most people do is they study for eight hours in a day, and then the next day they're like, oh, I'm kind of bored, I'm tired, I want to do this, and they break the chain. And the, the real crime in all of this is missing two days. If you miss two days of anything, you're more likely to miss three, four, five. But what's brilliant is 
it's impossible to miss two days if you never miss one day. And so I just tell myself, I can't break the chain. And it's just, just what you do. So if you're like, man, I want to I I be great at real estate. Study for 15 minutes a day. Make a commitment. By the end of the year, you'll be really smart at real estate or the stock market or whatever that is. And so, you know, the proof's in the pudding, what I want to teach my kids. And that's the number one thing I want to teach them is you can do anything. You can be anything that you want to be. Anything. <clears throat> I'm convinced of it. If you make a commitment. Now, will my son make it to the NBA? I believe he will. But even if he doesn't, what he really wants to do is be the best basketball player he can be. And he will do that. There's no doubt in my mind he will be the best basketball player he can be because he made it, he's made a commitment to do it. And so I think what's great about that is it transcends sports. You want to be the best dad you could ever be. Make a commitment. You want to be the best spouse, husband? You could be legendary by making a 15-minute 15 15 minute commitment a day. And I just think that's just so encouraging to know that it's not this thing that's so out of reach. Um, you can do it. And it's not always easy. But most of the time, it's pretty fun if you have that right attitude. Yeah. Wow, it's fascinating. It reminds me of uh, something a GA. We had this GA come from, from Whitworth. His name was Taylor Colsty, absolute dude. And he came and he talked about this book. And I can't remember what the book title was exactly. But he talked about how they were in the Arctic and these two boats were stuck in ice. And now one group, they would only uh, carry their stuff and, and go take a, a trip out if it was nice weather. But if it was, they'd go out for four, five hours, right? But the other crew would just go every single day, an hour, mm. right? Or whatever it was, a mile. And every single day, rainy snowy blizzard they were going to do it now that was the group that survived the other group didn't end up making it out so it's just a testament to what you're saying i read that book that's so amazing it's I, fun when you've read so many books and i'm like i remember that story yeah i can't remember which one it was either that's that's cool but there you go exactly what you're talking about so last couple of questions here i ask these two to every guest uh, i have on the show so Nothing you've done, this, this incredible basketball career, uh, the leadership stuff, hoop commitment, none of what you've done is you're able to leave behind to your kids, right? All you're going to be able to leave behind, they won't even know your name, they won't know anything, but you can leave three things, whether that's lessons, ideologies, theories, uh, pieces of wisdom to them, nothing else but these three things. What would those three things be that you would leave behind? Uh, well, the first one for sure is commitment. You know, I just think the idea of, you know, and I think they have it right now. You know, all, all three of them. My youngest is in fourth grade, and he's learning how to apply commitment to basketball and guitar. And my daughter, she's in seventh grade. She's learning how to apply commitment to piano and dance. And the same thing, my oldest is guitar and basketball, but really everything in life, which is so amazing and I think that's really cool because they know uh, my wife and I we do marriage counseling every single week wow, good and we tell the kids you know like hey basketball is pretty important strength conditioning is pretty important but the most important thing in my world is your mom and so I better be studying every single week on how to be the best dad or the best husband I could be so I could be the best dad I can be and so 
they can see how commitment works in a relationship. It's not like, well, I hope I have a good marriage. I better if I'm going to read a book on real estate and real estate's not that important. I better read books on marriage. You wow. know, if I'm going to take classes on nutrition, I better take classes on marriage. You know, if I'm going to have mentors for strength conditioning, I better have a mentor for marriage. And so, I think that commitment piece is number one. Uh, the second piece is kindness. That's just one of my core values, and uh, my kids are kinder than I am. My wife is so kind, and I just think um, that's what everyone needs. You know, it is. I just think that's. I don't really know why it's so important to me, but I just think, man, this world would be so great is if we were kind when we went through a drive-through, and we were kind to the athletes we work with, and if we were kind to the players we coach. And that doesn't mean that um, you can't tell them what they need to hear. It doesn't mean that you can't hold people accountable. But I just, I don't know, I just, I love a kind world. What would be the third thing? Boy, they're committed and they're kind. Um, I would leave them with Thich Nhat Hanh and any one of his books, any one of his podcasts, any one of his speeches, and I would say dig into him. And I just think you have someone like Gary Gray who, if you want to learn about movement, I could spend a whole lifetime, and if I knew 10% of what he knew, man, I would be a master at movement, you know. And I think about maybe one of the greatest people to ever walk the planet. One of the kindest, smartest people to ever uh, walk the planet. And he wrote over 50 books that we can learn from in the art of living, which is so important. So I think if they had those three things, if they could be whoever they wanted to be through commitment, if they were kind to themselves and kind to others, and they learned about the truths of this world through Thich Nhat Hanh, um, yeah, I think they would be in pretty good shape. Wow. That's awesome. Well, before I ask uh, this last question, I just want to acknowledge you for everything that you've done, the, the kindness that you've shown to me, the openness, and, and really like giving me your time to how busy you are. So it means a lot. I appreciate you inviting me up here taking those couple phone calls with me to let me poke around a little bit. So I really, really appreciate course, it, Mike, yeah. a lot. Um, you know, the name of the podcast is the Make Happen Podcast, yeah. right? What does it mean to make it happen to you? Well, we talked maybe a little off camera about how sometimes if the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And boy, I love that commitment tool. I think making it happen to me is um, making your mind up and realizing that if you know it and you don't do it, you don't know it. And so I can get caught in the trap of, I really know a lot about nutrition. I know that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. But if I skip breakfast today, I don't know it. The only way to know something is to do it. And so, you know, the, when I'm not being kind, when I'm not being patient with my wife, I can't say that I know what it, 
how it is to be kind or patient because I'm not doing it, you know. And so I think the idea of making it happen means you do what you know. And what you're not doing, you don't know. And I think then all of a sudden those things that you, the things that I really proclaim that I want to be experts in, that it really kind of shines a light on it. Do I really know servant leadership? Do I really know? Do I really know about nutrition? Not what I'm teaching my athletes, but what I'm living. And if I'm not doing these things, how can I expect my athletes to do them? And so I think then then you kind of guard how you preach. You know, you're careful with your words because words don't mean anything. And uh, and maybe it comes full circle back to Thich Nhat Hanh. You know, he written over 50 books, um, but he says his real message is his life. And I just, I just love that, you know, like I look at all the work that you're doing here and it won't be any of the articles that you've written. There won't be any of the podcasts that you've created. It will be what you actually did, what you lived. And that's what you really know. I told you, I told you Mike was going to deliver and he did. He over delivered absolutely incredible episode. I'm so grateful to be in contact with him. Go check out Mike's stuff over at hoop commitment all the stuff he's doing on Instagram, social media, not a super prevalent social media guy, but he's got an incredible website, incredible uh, thing that he's building. If you're a basketball player, go check his stuff out now. I am so excited to continue to learn from Mike, and I hope that you guys want to re-listen to this. There's just so many gems in here, so much that I got out of it. I'm going to be really re-listening to it multiple times. There's no doubt about it. I really, really appreciate you guys supporting this show. Please share this with someone that needs to hear it. And please give me feedback. How can I be better? How can we be better? How can I make this the best podcast possible for all of you out there? I'm just trying to make it the best content, bring you the best so you can improve the quality of your life and make it happen. Out.